Uh, Kristen Legeness, uh WTF vegan food or will travel for mm-hmm. vegan food uh, concluded last August, August 2013. And this year you have made it an objective to move every three to four months. Uh, why? And how is that going? And where have you been and where are you headed from here, my friend? And also, tell me about the paradigm shift from a static location lifestyle, insofar as you haven't already told me, uh, to your world of on-the-move living. Is this the new answer for you, or are you going back to the northeastern seaboard to stay? You going back to the Adirondacks, you know, and go back home and never travel again? Yeah. What of it? Well, uh, let's see if I can get all this in order. (laughs) Um, Yes, so... When the road trip ended, I knew that I didn't want to stop moving, not because, not for the sake of moving, but because my, my inkling or thought going into the road trip or belief that I would enjoy it what, couldn't have been more spot on. And I ended up really loving living a mobile lifestyle and having the ability to move around. And um, I became fascinated with kind of coming up with a way to earn a living doing it. And even though the road trip itself was donation-based, and, and it was sustainable throughout the whole two years, which still blows my mind. Um, I I knew that I needed to, or I wanted to see more of the country and of the world eventually. And so um, I told myself that I would continue to travel. But this time around, I would do it more where I become more immersed with the culture and community that I was in instead of popping in just to eat their food and then leaving. Um, So since my road trip ended last August, um, I was in New York City when it ended because I actually needed to go back there to finish. I did go through New York City once and then needed to go back to finish because they have the the most number of vegan restaurants in the whole country. So I lived there for four months last summer to finish eating my way through that city. And then afterwards, I headed to Chicago. Um, And this is kind of interesting because... I've always loved Chicago. I knew I would go back. But I went back this time because I was trying to come up with a way to transition from donations to income-based living or, you know, proper income where I'm earning it. Uh, And so I did a call out on Facebook and said, hey, if there are any vegan businesses who would like to trade free marketing consulting for housing, I'm in. And I heard from Upton's Naturals, which is a Satan production company. They make faux meets um, out of Chicago and they said we I had met them when I was traveling I, I interviewed the couple who runs the the company and they said we'd like we have this house we just moved out of because we're moving into our new building and you know if you'd like to live there we'd love to, some help with marketing and so it worked out beautifully I ended up going to Chicago did the trade and then when the contract was over which was a three-month long contract I wasn't ready to leave Chicago so I stayed another few months and then I planned out the rest of the year which has looked like Fargo for seven weeks, Seattle for two weeks, um, Alaska for a week and a half, and then most recently now in Hawaii where I'll be for the rest of the year. And so it didn't necessarily pan out to an exact three or four months in each place. Um, But part of the reason that I went to North Dakota and Alaska is because I hadn't been to those two states during my travels. And so during the formal part of the road trip, rather. So I wanted to check them off my bucket list so that I could say that I'd been to all 50 states. So did that, checked those states off. And then I knew that I wanted to be in kind of a tropical location to finish writing the book that I'm working on about the road trip. And so 
along the way, at some point, even before I left Chicago, I was talking with a friend of mine who had just purchased a home here on the Big Island, and she helped me start looking around, and it turned out that now I'm renting a place right in her backyard from a friend of hers, and it just worked out amazingly well. And so, yeah, I'll be in Hawaii the rest of the year, um, and then we'll see what happens next year. I don't know yet. Okay. Um, how was Alaska? It was beautiful, but not much to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I I loved being there because I got to camp out, and it was crazy time of year where the sun never set. So it would get to like a dusky kind of shade, and then it would just stay through that, like at that level all night until like 7 a.m. when the sun would rise higher again. So that was crazy because I was camping a lot the whole time too. So being in a tent and not having, like I would just sleep with a coat over my face because I, I couldn't fall asleep. Otherwise, my body was really messed up when I was there. But the food was tough. It was really tough. Um, I was there with a friend and we started in, in Fairbanks and then, or I'm sorry, we started in Anchorage, drove up to Fairbanks and then down to Seward and then down to Homer. And it was finally in Homer that we found this great little uh, cafe. Oh, I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was a total lifesaver. They were the only place that, of all the cities that we had been to that had like any proper vegan noms. Oh, <laughs> so we ended up, we found that on our last half day in the state. So we spent a good amount of time there, but it was gorgeous. We saw wild moose walking in the streets, just hanging out. We wanted to see bears, but we never saw a bear. Um, and it was some of the most breathtaking landscape that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, those snow-capped mountains are just, oh, and Denali National Park, we camped there for a few days. It was just incredible. It's pretty. Um, I like it. Um, you mentioned just quickly the sort of transient lifestyle. Seemed, it would be at a glance more ecological, arguably, than, um, you know, um, it, it, it seems that much like diet or vegetarian or vegan diet, which seems to me, as a, now knowing what I know, as a, it seems to be a more natural application of the, hu, uh, you know, the human form than, than what we maybe have been led to believe by popular you know, you know, uh, uh, nuclear family culture. Um, likewise, it could be arguably said that the sedentary stay in one location lifestyle is also not a propos the kind of original innate disposition of humanity. I kind of believe that too. I get a wanderlust and we move a lot and, and it, and it, I'm, you know, I'm getting accustomed to it. I've streamlined all my gear where it's easier for us to move now. Is that, does that seem right? I mean, it seems more natural to me. Keep moving. I want to agree with you only because it feels right with me for me, like internally, but I, I'm willing yeah, to bet yeah, that yeah. a lot of people, and in fact, I have met a few people who would say that they know right away that it wouldn't feel right for them, that they need kind of a home base. Yeah. And, and I get that, but what it's done for me, what I love is that it kind of has made me a minimalist or it has made me a minimalist in a lot of ways in terms of the amount of stuff that I can carry with me. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, like after leaving my apartment in Boston, I felt like I was getting rid of everything in my life 
down to just what would fit in the van. And when I first started, I was actually sharing the van with someone else. I had a, a road trip partner the first couple of months. So I had very few things. And then by the end of my road trip, I felt like, God, there's so much stuff in the van. This is way too much stuff. And now I have two, I have one suitcase, a messenger bag, and what else? Oh, like another smaller kind of suitcase thing. And that's all my stuff fits in there. Now, I do admittedly have a few things in boxes at my parents' house, but maybe like five small boxes. Um, but yeah, it's made me a lot more conscientious about how much I'm consuming. And you would think that as a vegan or maybe not, um, that that would be on your mind anyway. And I guess it was to some degree, but really now that I'm forced to travel with only a certain amount of like basically what I can carry, it really has had a much higher impact on that aspect of my life in terms of what I'm consuming um, as a, a person of the, you know, the community and, and this world and what I'm taking in, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, and and also I found that it really boosts my creativity when I get to a new place because I tend to just adjust really well, even if it's what other people might be considered like a really crappy location or it's, you know, something is off. I usually can find a way to make it work because um, I'm very go with the flowy despite my underlying type A personality. So it's kind of a nice combination of the two, I guess. Um, but Whenever I land in a new location, I feel re-inspired, and, and I love sharing that with other people, hence we'll travel for vegan food, I suppose, but I just love sharing the, the location, what it looks like, what I'm eating, who I'm meeting, and, and it gets me going with new business ideas, and so everything about travel has spoken to me personally and to my soul, and it just really, it, it livens me up. It's, it's what I want to do for the rest of my life is continue to to travel and be mobile and, and work from wherever there's internet. <laughs> right. A rolling stone gathers no moss. <laughs> there you go. Just said. Uh, elaborate further, please, Kristen, regarding your platform or applied um, lifestyle philosophy, uh, regarding animal rights and regarding sustainable humanity. Um, your, you know, your resume, New England Anti-Vivisection Society, World Society for Protection of Animals, vegan mainstream farm animal rights movement for the uninitiated why are these things important are you you know how what difference does it make yeah that's that's i feel like that's such a deep question i hardly know where to start on that one but i guess i can just speak to where it comes from within me which it's interesting because when I first started the vegan journey or chose to become vegan that day in Syracuse, New York, at George Eisman's talk, um, I was moved by treatment of the animals. Yes, I understand the health benefits, and yes, I understand the environmental impact, which we can talk about if you want as well, but clearly, based on the places that you've just listed that I've worked for in the last few years before my road trip, um, the animal part of it, just understanding the billions of creatures that are tortured and gosh, it's just, it's hard to wrap the mind around. Even as someone who has been aware of it for the last 16 years of my life, it's hard to um, fathom the destruction that we create for other creatures and how that bounces off of other things like the environmental impact and also 
the industries that have popped up that are feeding us literally um, certain messages to consume these things that just aren't aren't good for anything in my opinion and so I feel like my broader uh, outlook on it is I could never do anything else with my life now everything I do my business models my personal endeavors even like going on these adventures even if it's just a something I'm doing on my own I'm always, I'm just so much more aware of how how what I'm doing is impacting everything around me and I just feel very emotionally connected to that and and to the animals that are are suffering and so largely for me it's become wanting to get the message out about what's happening there and hopefully create some change. I know at times it feels impossible and for other vegans who are listening and for those who I've met on the road I know that we've had lots of conversations or you've thought about how it feels impossible at times that we will never make a difference. But the truth is we are just by being vegan ourselves. We really are. And it is making a difference. And the more that we talk about it in a compassionate way, um, I think the more influence we can have. It's like with any other social change, right? You get the pushback first and then you get the questions and then more people start opening up, which I think is happening right now. I think the last two years, and 2015 is going to be incredible, I think, for the vegan movement. I can just feel it. I can feel it changing. So I'm excited. Uh, I don't know if I answered your question. But. You did. I mean, that's that's probably the, the um, yeah, that's, that's very well put. Um, you mentioned community, and I asked you earlier, how many do you think there are in the United States? And that, you know, census taking is very important um, in terms of, you know, civics and common law and natural law. And, uh, and and natural rights, um, um, and also, I mentioned earlier. I don't know if this was on the air. Um, sometimes, truth or you know, revolutionary change or something that could be considered revolutionary, even though it maybe arguably isn't in a broader context of things, isn't necessarily always welcome. And you mentioned there are some areas where you didn't find so quickly, just either because of rurality or, you know, whatever else, you know, the, the, the vegetarian and vegan culture isn't, there's not much of a saturation, if you might. So, um, I mean, in terms of community, um, that's important for people coming out as vegans, I suppose. Um, you know, it was, you know, I'm a grown you know, man, for me, it was a little, I mean, it was uncharted territory. Uh, and there are changes that occur with your body and occur with your, the way you define yourself and the way you operate in the world at large. So community is very important. I have found that the quarter that I am able to a- access among the community is great. And then, but it, but it shows, you know, as opposed to maybe arguably from time to time when perception hasn't been so good. So uh, mm-hmm. I would say for people who are, you know, doing this and are new at it and have changed their lifestyle and, and are opening their eyes as such, like, you know, you, I, I, I hope and, and suspect that they'll find the community to be open-armed in, in welcoming them and also be careful because, you know, when, you know, people are often dealing from a different various set of facts. Um, so, mm-hmm. so people should ought to be careful. And, um, you know, the, the reason for it, um, you know, ethically, like, a logistical argument is just as compelling as is any ethical argument, I think, when it comes to 
this lifestyle. Um, yeah. You know, it's just if you're trying to streamline it um, and you demand by writ of currency, fiat, downtown Houston, I want a flash fried cow right now. And you show somebody the money and they'll get you a flash fried cow or a flash fried cat or a flash fried person or whatever because of the demand mm-hmm. that you've created there. Now, do right. natural things, have they occurred in order to get that for you there in, in the asphalt metropolis and large, densely populated metro area? No. Flash fried cows do not naturally occur in big cities, you know, and period cows, regardless of where they came from. So um, that's the logist. That's an example or an aspect of the logistical argument. And in terms of historical religious studies um, and with respect to the ethics, uh, ethical argument, as opposed to the logistical argument for the lifestyle, it doesn't take long historical uh, survey of world religion and spirituality going back to antiquity, classical era, um, and and um, you know modern. Um, it doesn't take long to realize in the historical texts and the religion, you know, that that uh, hells can be created. And mm-hmm. I often would use the argument whenever I was involved or talking with people who were doing prison ministries, like, okay, we don't have to go all the way down to, you know the tip of some other continent to find people who are suffering and starving. You, all you have to do is go down to the prison unit up here and there's a hell that's been engendered right there. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not new or unique to the 20 or 21st century or industrial society. People, if you look back at religious texts, historically people have been there. There is note in all the, for example, uh, the Eastern literature of hells being created. It's in their, uh, their Dhamma or their, 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 their doctrine or their historical records. Um, and, the ethical argument is, you know, when killing, and that's why monastics of any religion swear off killing, typically, is because of if, when it becomes institutionalized, it ledges, hedges, and, and creates, you know, closed circles where there is nothing but death. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, as, you know, a kind of a lay religious scholar, will say that. Um, from a perspective of integrative marketing, um, mm. and this is important. This is critically important. This is why your credential is important. And, and this is analogous to, say, let's say, the commodification of sex, um, drugs and alcohol, um, and the fact that all of those things, whether black market or over-the-counter drugs, and the commodification of sex, most typically, percentage-wise, target, say, 12 to 14-year-old children because they're the most lucrative demographic to snuff. And that goes to show how important uh, marketing is and how powerful it is. Um, when it, and I see around here in symbiotic cosanguinity tandem, all of the you know, fried chicken outlets on every corner 